BetMGM has an unreal deal for sports fans in Virginia. Turn $5 into $150 instantly when you place your first wager at BetMGM. Simply download the BetMGM app and sign up using code CHAMPION150. Then, place a $5 wager on any sport. You'll receive $150 in bonus bets, regardless of your wager's outcome. And if you think the fun stops there, the king of sportsbooks has plenty of surprises in store. Check out daily promotions, same game parlays, live bets, and so much more. Download the app in Virginia today and get $150 in bonus bets instantly from your first wager only at BetMGM. BetMGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly. See BetMGM.com for terms. 21 plus only. Virginia only. New customer offer. Subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days. Please gamble responsibly. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Promotional offer not available in Washington, D.C. The legends are true. But overwhelming power. The sauce of destiny. Yes! The most legendary sauce has arrived as McDonald's transforms into the anime world of Donald's. The greatest flavors unite in all new savory chili McDonald's sauce to make your 10-piece nuggets, fries, and Sprite ultra-powerful. Unlock manga comics with every meal and sit down for a new anime short every week only at McDonald's. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba, go! And participate in McDonald's for a limited time while supplies last. Welcome to another edition of the Five Reasons Podcast. My name is Chris Whittingham, joined by Ethan Skolnick. If you want to subscribe to this podcast, you can do so on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, or Google Play, wherever you get your podcasts, you can find them. Now, Ethan, we are going to talk about the Miami Heat in this episode and run through their current kind of predicament at the trade deadline. It is an interesting one because they're both... In the midst of a playoff race, they're both kind of looking behind them because right now Philly and Detroit are hot on their tail to try and leap over them to get into the playoffs. And then you look at the fact that a week ago, they were a win in Cleveland away from being the three seed. So they kind of fashion themselves as someone who can compete in these playoffs. So how do they tackle this trade deadline? And to me, I want to cover in this episode the ways that they can either improve or take a step back and the five different categories of trades they can make, kind of using a player on the team as a way that they can kind of take the direction of the franchise into maybe a different place. And it's complicated by the fact that, as you mentioned, the Heat have not played well lately. And as we do this podcast, they're on a four-game losing streak, and they've got a challenging schedule coming up. I mean, they could potentially lose three out of four or four out of four of their next upcoming games. And so that makes it a difficult decision for Pat Riley here because, you know, the question is, what is this team's upside? And we've tackled that on a couple of our five reasons pods already. But if look, if Pat Riley wants to make a run, if he sees that the East provides some opportunity for him this year, then there may be sort of a minor upgrade that's made to the roster here to to try to make that push. Or if he's looking down the road and, and trying to clear a contract, and then we're going to talk a lot about Hassan Whiteside here on this podcast, you know, that's another direction that he can try to go. So uh, they're caught in between a little bit where you look at the Eastern Conference and and Cleveland, which is everyone has said, you know, foregone conclusion. They're going to get to the finals. I think we had that discussion on a pod a couple of weeks ago. Uh, that's looking a little bit iffy right now. And, you know, the question is, can you compete with Boston at this stage when Boston may get Gordon Hayward back this year? Can you compete with a Toronto team that right now has the best bench in the league? So these are all calculations that Pat Riley needs to make before the deadline. 
So let's start with the Hassan Whiteside category. To me, he would represent my first category of trades because trading him can both clear up the present in terms of really establishing that big man rotation and towards the future because obviously you owe him the most money of any player currently on the roster. So I looked at the one-for-one market with Hassan Whiteside, and I started, oddly enough, in Los Angeles because I think the Clippers, after the Blake Griffin trade, are kind of trying to figure out where they're at in terms of where they want to go towards the future. So I kind of looked at it in terms of exchanging your problem for my problem and maybe seeing if things change a little bit. So I went Hassan Whiteside for DeAndre Jordan. Who do you think would say no to that trade, Ethan? I don't think that trade gets made for a few reasons. I'm going to start here. I'm a little surprised uh, about the reports this morning that the Clippers are looking to extend Lou Williams. That takes me in a little bit of a different direction because I I, I thought that the Clippers might go full full rebuild here. Uh, It appears that they're going to try to remain competitive. They're not going to sort of break the thing down all the way to the bottom. So if, if that's the case, then Hassan Whiteside might have some interest to them because again they can deal with his contract then over the next two seasons beyond this one so so it's possible that the clippers may look at that and say look we we we're not committed to DeAndre Jordan long term and Hassan Whiteside gives us a player a cornerstone player at that position who who maybe has a little bit more of of an offensive uh you know a little bit more offensive potential to scratch although we haven't seen it play out this season, um, but but that would essentially give them their center for the future without having to re-up DeAndre Jordan. So it's possible that they would consider it. From the Heat's perspective, I wouldn't really understand it because I, I think one of the things that you're trying to do here, uh, although you, you certainly want to clear future money, but one of the things that you're trying to do, at least in the short term, is, is clear a space for Bam Adebayo to play more. You have this sort of crowded front court rotation already with Whiteside, Olenek, and Adebayo, and we've already seen now that, that Eric Spolcher has said that Adebayo and Whiteside may play more together going forward, or at least that's you know, something that he threw out there, which means less minutes for James Johnson, which is one of those things that we've discussed. So I don't know, you know, other than, again, the ability to get out of the of the contract over the next couple of years, if you don't resign DeAndre Jordan, uh, that would be the only benefit to the Heat. But I don't know if that's a big enough benefit to make that trade. And obviously, just changing things for the sake of changing is not really the way to go necessarily. So I understand. I just thought because they're on similar contracts, they present similar problems to their current franchises. Maybe you'd think about making that change. Now, the two other one for ones in terms of big salary for big salary, you could do with Dallas with Harrison Barnes. I'm not sure, given that where they're at, that they're necessarily going to want to make uh you know Harrison Barnes this highly paid number one centerpiece player and then also with CJ McCollum in Portland I think they have a redundancy in their backcourt with playmaking guards I think kind of similar to Oklahoma City maybe in the 2012-2013 area with Westbrook and Harden they have playmakers that necessarily don't fit together and that they're meant to have their own teams. I think CJ McCollum is meant to have his own team. And then when you can, when you sort of consider the fact that there's a logjam currently with the Portland big man situation, I think maybe they might be a candidate to trade. What do you make of those two kind of one for ones? Yeah. Well, we'll start with Portland here. And again, look at it from the heat's perspective. CJ McCollum would certainly fill their need for primary scorer. He would immediately be the most skilled scorer on the team. Now he is, you know, he's 26 years old. He's not, he's not quite as young as I think people think he is, but still, you know, entering his prime here in a couple of years and signed through 2021. So, so he would be a foundational piece 
for the Heat, and he would, you know, again, immediately become their best one-on-one player. With that being said, again, you have a logjam there for the Heat because you have this Deion Waiters contract that you're dealing with now. And so CJ McCollum's best position is the two spot. And if if you're, you know, if, if you don't think you can move Deion Waiters going forward, then you've got a situation where you're paying, you know, a total of, what, $37, $38 million to two two guards as of next season. Actually, a little bit more than that if you if you take into account McCollum's increase in his contract. So that's the only thing from the Heat's perspective. Now, from Portland's perspective, they were in on Whiteside, you know, a year ago when he became a free agent. They have a decision to make on Nurkic going forward. And so, you know, I could see interest there. And, and clearly, you know, they're looking at the the Lillard-McCullum backcourt and seeing, you know, some duplication there and that, that really there may just be, you know, a ceiling in terms of how far that team can go. So I, I could see interest from, from Portland's perspective. You know, I, I would think that they would want to try to get a draft pick at least to be able to feel sort of justified in dealing McCullum. From the Heat's perspective, I, I think that trade would make more sense going forward than the DeAndre Jordan trade. Because if, if free agency is going to be difficult for you to acquire a player, which we I believe it will be going forward, then you, you have a guy in McCollum who's locked up through 2021. There's your star, and he would have to become your lead player. Now, as far as Dallas goes, Chris, I, I'm... I'm not sure what the Mavericks are doing. Are you? I, I, I have no clue what the Dallas Mavericks are doing. When you look at their current salary situation, I was trying to make these trades, and there really aren't a ton that make any sense with them. Right, and they just committed all this money to Barnes. Now, you know, when they looked at Whiteside, and again, they were another of the teams that was big time into Whiteside when he became a free agent. But, I mean, if you're Dallas at this stage, you're transitioning to the end of the Dirk Nowitzki era. You thought that Harrison Barnes might become your star going forward. Now it appears maybe it's Dennis Smith. But I would think if you're going to trade, if you're if you're going to if you're going to make a trade of Harrison Barnes at this stage and give up on that experiment, that that you want to get draft picks. And and so I I don't know that Dallas is in a position where it's sort of taking on Hassan Whiteside when Hassan has not made the progress over the past year to make you believe he can be a franchise cornerstone, the lead player. I, I don't know why Dallas would do that at this point. And from Miami's, from Miami's perspective, Harrison Barnes is, is a really nice complimentary player, but the Heat have a lot of nice complimentary players. Maybe not one quite as skilled as Harrison Barnes, but to me, I look at CJ McCollum and I look at Harrison Barnes and I say, if, if, if I was to look at a guy who might emerge as sort of your lead guy, I, I would lean more towards McCollum than towards Barnes. So I, I don't know if that's a trade necessarily with Dallas that would make sense for either team. And obviously Dallas is a difficult trade partner at the moment, given we really don't know what they want to be or what they're building towards. In terms of those being the one-for-ones, now as you look at sort of the, the bigger packages that I worked out here on the trade machine, there were three that I came up with that included Whiteside, using Whiteside and Bam Adebayo to acquire Mark Gasol and the expiring contract of James Ennis. Mark Gasol, obviously an older player, not someone that I think is going to be useful for a rebuild that's going to happen in Memphis. Bam really serving as the first-round pick that you don't have in order to sweeten that deal with the Brooklyn Nets using Whiteside and Tyler Johnson to get off of that contract you get back to Mari Carroll Jeremy Lin maybe a pick as well not really a great return for Whiteside but at least you get off of that Tyler Johnson contract we know Brooklyn is a team that's been interested in him before and then with the Milwaukee Bucks 
trading Whiteside alone for Chris Middleton and Mirza Toledovic. Toledovic, more of that three-point shooting big. Chris Middleton, a perfect modern NBA wing and someone that I think can really improve this team. And I love Chris Middleton. I, I, I think, to me, Chris Middleton is a much better version of a Demari Carroll type. He's a guy who can be a lead guy at times. I, you know, to me, he's the perfect number two on a team because he defends. Uh, he can, sh- you know, he, he can get to the basket. He can shoot from distance. Like Chris Middleton's a very good player I, and, and would fit really well in you know, quote unquote, heat culture. I don't know what direction Milwaukee's going to go in, though, because if you look at if you look at their situation, if they trade Middleton, they're basically committing to signing Parker in the offseason. So so how comfortable are they with Parker at this stage? We just saw them also make a trade for Zeller to be an extra big. So they you know, not that he's going to light the world on fire, but they, at least they added a little bit of depth to that position. So uh, to me, that was a sign that, that maybe they might be out of the mix for a premier big. The, the Memphis situation is interesting. Now, remember, Memphis had Whiteside at one point and, and let him go. Actually, I think they let him go twice. And, and some of the uh, – now, again, the coaches you know, has changed over a couple of times since then. But Chris Wallace is still in that organization. I, I believe Hollinger was in the organization the second time around. So I don't know what they think uh, of Whiteside. Um, you know, Marcus Gasol – I still think he has, you know, two or three pretty high-level years left. Uh, you know, there was not a big burden put on him early in his career. Uh, to me, that would be interesting to look at because, again, you're talking about a guy who is a really, really good passer. And uh, to me, Gasol would fit well next out of bio because Gasol can step out, you know, and not only make a 15-footer. Marcus Gasol has proven he can make the three recently of those three moves that's the one that I would look at if they make Marcus all available so those are the white side trades those are the trades that I think could yield something decent in return for the Miami Heat in terms of either near future long-term salary relief or a, a player to add to the current rotation of guys now that sort of is an indicator of a certain style of trade that I'm not sure the Heat are willing to make now if the Heat were to, to acknowledge the fact that they're maybe not going to compete in these playoffs and maybe not going to really kick on and be a top four seed and compete at the highest level of the conference. Maybe you make sort of the trade that I think you saw some teams make last year, whether it's for Boyan Bogdanovich or for Lou Williams, get a first-round pick in exchange for a role player on an expiring contract. That, for me, would be Wayne Ellington, the fact that he's been so good for Miami this season and can serve as kind of that sweetener uh, for a team that's looking to compete. So I came up with two involving Ellington and getting a first-round pick in return. The first involves the Cleveland Cavaliers getting a first-round pick for them. Obviously, Cleveland's first, not that Brooklyn pick that they're holding on to. I imagine they have bigger thoughts than Wayne Ellington for that Brooklyn pick. Uh, Getting Channing Frye in order to make the salaries match. So Channing Frye's expiring contract and Cleveland's first-round pick in exchange for Wayne Ellington. They're always looking for wings to pair with LeBron James, uh, shooters to put out there with him on the floor that can also play decent defense. I think we've seen Ellington improve on that end of the floor. And then with Indiana, you look at Al Jefferson's contract situation. Al Jefferson has two more years left, but you pay him for this year, and next year is partially guaranteed at only $4 million. So you could cut him and save uh, a decent amount of money and only have to pay $4 million in dead money. So you'd be able to get at least off of some of that contract, save a few million dollars getting rid of Ellington and not bringing him back, getting a first-round pick from the Pacers. Not sure that they'd be willing to go for it in terms of giving up a first-round pick given that they're in the same area of the standings as Miami. But those are the two I came up with for Ellington. All right, let's start with the first one, which uh, to me is really interesting. Uh, you look at the 
Channing Frye situation in Cleveland. And one of the complicating issues here is that Kevin Love is out. And I think if you look at Cleveland's overall situation, you would have been more prone to maybe move Channing Frye if Kevin Love was playing because, you know, Frye was out of the rotation there for what a two or three week period, you know, after a lot of the other pieces came back. Now they're a little bit more reliant on Fry as an extra front court piece. So I think from Cleveland's perspective, it would depend on what else they do, right? Like I, Wayne Ellington makes a lot more sense if you've found somebody to take J.R. Smith off your books. Otherwise, if you're adding Ellington to a team that already has Corver, J.R. Smith, and Dwayne Wade soaking up the minutes at the two spot in addition to what are they playing, you know, three different point guards, and then they've got Osmond too. For Cleveland, a trade like that would have to be made in combination with something else with someone else um, to be able to do that. And the other thing is, for the Cavs' perspective, their own first-round pick is, you know, is a sweetener for them, you know, if they continue to sort of – you know, be reluctant to trade the Brooklyn pick. So to give that up for, you know, a, a couple of months of Wayne Ellington, I don't know if that's going to be enough to keep LeBron happy anyway. I, I don't know if there's enough of a relationship. I, I don't know that they know each other at all and all the rest. So I, I don't know from Cleveland's perspective, it'd make a ton of sense. If, if I'm Miami, I'm okay with it because again, you get that first round pick and, and it does look like Cleveland's pick, you know, is not going to be 29th this year it looks like it looks like it could be you know maybe in the low 20s and so you might be able to package it and do something else and be able to move that asset to somebody else and I think one of the reasons why you do this trade if you're the Miami Heat or you try and seek out those first round picks is because Miami has done better in the draft in recent years you look at their output in terms of the draft picks that they've put together really since the Justice Winslow pick or even you know going and finding young players be it Tyler Johnson be it Hassan Whiteside that or even Rodney Magruder that turned into legitimate contributors you have you know Justice Winslow you have Josh Richardson you have Bam Adebayo and so I do find interesting the idea that they have changed as an organization in terms of being able to produce quality picks. Well, I, I think the problem, though, of course, is is Riley's age and sort of where he is at this stage of his career and whether or not, you know, the first round pick in, in the high in the, in the low 20s is of that much value to him. But at the same time, Ethan, what is ultimately the move that is going to keep older Pat Riley in the office? What is the home run swing that's even left for him? And so, yes, I understand he might not be interested in late first round picks, but as the leader of this franchise, he has to make the decisions as long as he remains in the job of what's best for, for the outlook for the future. And so I'm not certain how you can make near-term moves or sort of you know sneer at long-term moves when you don't really have anything in the hopper that you think, okay, this is our next free agent class. This is the next big move that we can go and target. I, th- that doesn't exist right now. So I'm not sure sort of why you wouldn't turn Wayne Ellington into an asset while you can. Well, that's and that's why I was so surprised by what he did last offseason, because what he did last offseason was essentially lock himself into a pretty good team. Right. Like that's what he did. And we've talked about those contracts, but the waiters, Johnson and Olenek contracts kind of locked him in to that space. And I don't have any issue with the Richardson extension because I think that's something that they needed to do. But, yeah, that's that's where they are right now is sort of as a, a slightly above average team. We've talked about the difficulty of getting a star in this climate, certainly not made any easier by circumstances this year, like such as Cousins getting hurt, which I think affected the market to some 
degree. But, you know, I don't know what big swing he has out there. I just know that he hasn't typically valued. You know, you mentioned, you know, that they've been a little better in the draft so far. There was there was a long period of time or, or lately there was there was a long period of time where the Heat had a lot of picks in the, you know, sort of low 20s and kept missing over and over and over again. And you look at some of the names, whether we're going back a little ways, but Charles Smith, Tim James, Daquan Cook, I mean, just a lot of guys. Wayne Simeon, right. I mean, uh, you know, a long run. Now, I do think Chet Cameron's influence, I think uh, Adam Simon's influence, have been really instrumental in terms of the Heat having more success, getting Richardson in the second round, which Cameron really sort of pounded the table on it. They would have taken Clint Capella, if LeBron hadn't interceded, you know, they took Shabazz Napier. But uh, if you talk to people inside the organization, the player that they were targeting was Capella. That would have been a very good draft pick as, as Capella has turned into a very valuable role guy in Houston. So I, I do think that this group that they have together now is better at drafting than what they had before. I just don't know that Riley's going to value the pick. Here's the other thing I want to throw into this one, though, Chris. I don't think Riley will make a deal with Cleveland. Um, and and, and I, say, I say that based on experience because I, in, in that – uh, that first year I was up uh, that LeBron went back and I was covering the team. The Heat had uh, two different deals for Norris Cole that were done, um, or at least the Cavs thought they were done. And it was going to get Norris Cole to Cleveland. But it was, they were three-way deals. It was basically another team that was going to be sending Norris to Cleveland. And both times, uh, according to people in Cleveland, and the Heat, I, I ran this by the Heat, and they never denied it. Uh, both times when the when the Heat found out that the Cavaliers were involved uh, in this, that Cole was going to end up in Cleveland and helping LeBron, uh, the the Heat Riley backed out of the trades. So Cleveland is on the is on the brink right now, right? Like I don't know that Pat Riley is going to make any kind of a deal to sort of take them back from the brink. Like if he, if he thinks that Wayne Ellington is going to help Cleveland in any way at this stage, when it looks like this, you know, this empire of the Eastern conference is crumbling. I, you know, I, I don't, it's like, I don't know why you throw Rome a bone at this point. Um, so I, I, I don't know that he would make a deal with him. I don't know that, that having, you know, again, a draft pick at 21 or 22 or wherever it is, is going to be enough for them to make the move. And again, I look at Cleveland, this would have to be in combination with, with some other move. The, the thing about LeBron is, and, and we're going to talk about this on another pod, but the, the thing about LeBron is Le, LeBron values names, right? Like, I don't know that Wayne Ellington is, is going to be enough uh, for him to say, okay, everything he is here is okay in Cleveland. And, and also, again, Ellington would be taking minutes from his buddy up there uh, in Wade's. So I, I, I just, I look at it for both sides. Let's get to the other one quickly here. The Al Jefferson one with with Indiana, you know, Al's not really a very useful player anymore, but I know that's not really the point of it. Indiana's first round pick, you'd figure it'd be somewhere around where the Heat's first round pick would have been. So you're basically getting your own first round pick back. I could see that making some sense for Miami. Uh, I, there's, you know, I don't think that there's bad blood between the Heat and Pacers organizations anymore. So I could see them making a trade. With Indiana, again, that's a small move that they can make, and, and and it would it would strictly be about picking up that first round pick. But again, I come back to this. I I just I don't know if, if scooping up a, a pick and and Indiana's probably be a little bit higher than Cleveland's, but I, I don't know if that would be enough for Pat to make the deal. And I also kind of understand the thinking that you'd rather have Wayne Ellington there to contribute in a postseason series if you're trying to win a postseason series uh, th this many years on from LeBron and, and also Dwayne Wade leaving to, to compete. If you want to go and do that, you would need Wayne Ellington, but I think you would do really well to get a first-round pick for him right now. So 
This show is sponsored by BetterHelp. What's the first thing you'd do if you had an extra hour in your day? Go for a run, take a nap, maybe check the stats of the latest Miami Heat game? I've got a better idea. A lot of us spend our lives wishing we had more time. The question is time for what? If time was unlimited, how would you use it? The best way to squeeze that special thing into your schedule is to know what's important to you and make it a priority. Therapy can help you find what matters to you so you can do more of it. I've benefited from therapy. I went through some life changes, major life events, had some difficulties, wasn't a believer in therapy, but it helped me and it can help you also. So if you're thinking of starting therapy, give BetterHelp a try. It's entirely online, designed to be convenient, flexible, and suited to your schedule. Just fill out a brief questionnaire to get matched with a licensed therapist and switch therapists anytime for no additional charge. So learn to make time for what makes you happy with BetterHelp. Visit betterhelp.com slash Miami Heat today to get 10% off your first month. Again, that's betterhelp, H-E-L-P.com slash Miami Heat. Say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate mega stores led by Walmart and Target are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall credit card bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall credit card bill. That, that's kind of the Ellington category, the turning an expiring contract into an asset uh, that I think you've seen a lot of teams in the NBA do in recent years. Now, as we kind of move on, I think Goran Dragic is an immensely viable player and really can fetch a lot on the trade market, would probably be the guy that would be most ready-made to contribute for another team. So I have two for you, the second of which I'm really proud of in terms of the diabolical nature of the trade machine, really shaking up the NBA by, uh, by, by making a big trade. The first one, though, is a bit more practical and I think can help a contending team win straight away. So they, they are the San Antonio Spurs. The Spurs would send Tony Parker and DeJounte Murray, their promising young point guard, maybe a second-round pick as well, to the Heat for Goran Dragic. I think the Spurs would look at a massive improvement at the point guard position right now. I think Murray would probably be their point guard of the future, but when you look at the minutes that they're handing out right now at the point guard position, I just think they have too many holes in their roster. I think Dragic would shore up some of their issues at the moment. And then from a Heat point of view, you get off of a pretty significant salary burden in Goran Dragic. Not that it's that bad but you know it's 15 million dollars that you can do something with and you get a promising young player maybe a pick as well in order to kind of facilitate that next era in the present day you get both Parker and Murray who can really fill out point guard minutes that are missing at the moment so I think it's just a trade that works perfectly for both teams I think that's really interesting for Miami, you know, because I I think DeJounte Murray is going to be really good and he's on a great deal right now. I mean, I'm looking at his contract and he's basically he's 1.3 this year, 1.5 next year. And then he's a team option at 2.3 for 2019-20. And we've already seen in in sort of a limited sample size that that the moment is not too big for him. And he's a guy who's going to fill up the stat sheet in a number of ways. So I I think it's really interesting for Miami. The Parker thing keeps you mildly competitive this year. Obviously, as we mentioned, the Heat don't really have two point guards as it is. So this would fill their point guard coffers, and then you let Parker walk after the season, and and we see if Tony decides to continue playing somewhere. For San Antonio, I don't know if they would do that for a couple of reasons. Um, 
One is, uh, again, the loyalty thing I, I do think plays in there. Um, I'm trying to think. Their players have been loyal to them, but they've also been loyal to their players. I mean, there was a time where it didn't look like Manu Ginobili had anything left. And, and uh, you know, I know he took below, you know, what you would call below market contracts for a player of his pedigree. But but still, the Spurs honored, you know, his service to keep him around. You know, I'm trying to think of, of the last, I mean, you know, David Robinson finished there, right? Duncan finished there. Ginobili's going to finish there. Would they trade Tony with the optics of it for that organization? I'm, I'm not sure. I'm that, that's the first thing. And the second thing is we know how hard Popovich is on his point guards. And the fact that he's entrusted DeJounte Murray with a lot of responsibility already tells you that he likes him quite a bit, right? And that's sort of a hard thing. I mean, he's in, you know, I mean, Tony Parker had to fight his way into the starting lineup uh, when, when he, you know, came aboard. So from their perspective, I, again, I understand that Dragic, you know, would probably be an upgrade for this season. Also, obviously, he's we know that the Spurs love international players. So, I mean, I'm sure that they knew plenty about Dragic well before, you know, he even emerged as a starter in the league. But I, I don't know if the Spurs are in position right now with Kawhi Leonard's status, Chris, that's the other thing, where if, if you don't know if you're going to have Leonard this season to make a push, do you make a trade for Dragic to get eliminated, you know, if not in the first round, then in the second round anyway? I think it's a different story if Leonard is, is completely healthy. You have Aldridge playing the way that he's played. You get one more run out of Pau Gasol. You got Patty Mills playing reasonably well. Rudy Gay uh, has been a, a pretty decent signing for them. You have all of those pieces and then you add a Dragic to the mix and you think, OK, we're going to take a run at not only Golden State, but also we've got to deal with Houston and OKC. I don't know that the Spurs, that it's in the cards for them this season. And then so you're saying, OK, so this is about next year when you have a healthy Leonard and, and maybe, you know, who knows, maybe the Warriors or, or Rockets take a step back, although you know the Rockets may have LeBron, who knows. Then you say, OK, well, then Dragic is one year older at that stage, is this a trade you want to make? So, so what I would say is if I were Miami, I would make that deal. I don't know, uh, you know, again, and I like Goran. I've been you know, one of Goran's biggest defenders down here in the media. But I think just looking towards the future, that makes sense and clearing out some cap. But I, I don't know from the Spurs perspective with Leonard's status, if that makes sense. And the other thing about it, too, they've also got a decision to make on Kyle Anderson after this season. So there's just a lot of moving pieces in San Antonio. I, I don't know that adding two more years to Dragic would make sense. Yeah, and I understand that San Antonio might be more realistic in thinking that they might not compete for the championship this year and that maybe you make a big move next year or in this offseason to really try and kick on and compete with the Warriors and the Rockets. But I want to get to my second one because this is the one that I'm proudest of in terms of working the trade machine and doing something big uh, involving the Miami Heat. Uh, it would involve sending Goran Dragic to Philadelphia for Trevor Booker's expiring contract and Markel Fultz. So obviously, Philadelphia is in place right now with Redick, but more importantly, with Ben Simmons and Joel Embiid in terms of their future. So they have kind of those players, but Markel Fultz is meant to be the third piece, and it just hasn't gone well so far. And I almost wonder if, kind of like how Cleveland just cut bait with Anthony Bennett and Anthony Bennett never resurfaced, if they just think that Markel Fultz is kind of a lost cause right now, and if the best you can do in the trade market two years from now would be, you know, getting someone else's late first round pick or, you know, shipping them off somewhere and not getting a ton of return. Do you sort of say, let's cut our losses now, get something decent now and really try and compete this season and maybe in the near future 
with these really promising young players that you have. So I'm not sure where they're at with Markel Fultz, but I think Miami might want to wave their magic wand of culture on Markel Fultz and see if they can turn his career around and really have him be the most promising young player, the most promising player, period, that they would have on their team. This one is really interesting. Um, I don't know that culture will fix that shot. That's the big issue here. I mean, you're, you're talking about a, a guy who has completely lost it, at least in terms of the videos that have been released here. And, you know, there were questions about Fultz coming out. I, you know, he was sort of the became the consensus number one overall pick to everyone but, I guess, Danny Ainge. But the question, you know, there were questions about Fultz in terms of how was a player who was as good as he supposedly is on a team in college that was that bad. So th- there were there were issues about Fultz coming into the league and, and now, you know, having the shoulder injury and then having what appear to be the yips raises additional questions there. Again, what is what is Riley's timeline here? You know, is, is he going to be comfortable turning the reins over to you know, a point guard who hasn't even had as much opportunity as Murray has had at this stage to prove himself on this level. Now, from Philadelphia's perspective, we've seen that this regime has been willing in Philadelphia to give up on future on on former first you know first or high first round picks. I mean, they uh, I know Brian Colangelo didn't draft him, but he, he gave away Jaleel Okafor to the Nets after not playing him. So possible that they would just decide to give up on Fultz at this stage and, and recognize that maybe it wasn't the best selection because you have a guy in Simmons who is sort of your de facto point guard anyway. I, I do think Dragic would be a nice fit next to Simmons because we've seen that Dragic can play off the ball. So I, he would fit in Philadelphia. I, I don't have a question about that. But from the Heat's perspective, is Fultz that talented is he the whale, so to speak, that Riley would sort of, uh, you know, stake the future on going forward? And I'm not sure. I'm not sure we've seen enough, you know, from Fultz at this stage to make it. But it, w- it would certainly be an interesting trade. I do think that Fultz could be that for this Heat team. And when you look at just sort of their future in terms of the picks that they're going to have, they're never going to draft number one overall or get a player with the pedigree of Markel Fultz. And then I think when you look at Philadelphia's point of view, they kind of already have those big-name players, those playmaking guys that are, are, are sort of franchise cornerstones. And obviously, you try and collect as many of those as possible, but I do think surrounding them with a coherent team is also important too. And I think Dragic at the moment makes more sense for that than Fultz. And I just sort of wonder if Philly, with as much as they've been through, they just want to go on and kick on and compete now and not necessarily wait around for Markel Fultz to, to get right. Okay, and they, and they have obviously two they, – they, look, they've found two diamonds. They have two guys that are extremely young that are only going to get better. You know, does the timeline fit with Goran Dragic too? You, you're talking about you know, having another year on the contract and his age. Does it fit with him going forward? You know, they, they made the move for J.J. Redick this year, but it was just a one-year commitment. That was it. Um, and, and so I, I, don't, I don't know if, if the timing – in terms of when Simmons and Embiid are going to be in position to make a serious run in the East, will fit with where Dragic is uh, at, at his stage of the career. And we talked about this in another pod. You know that Goran. I, I don't think Goran's going to fall off a cliff here. But but again, you have to start to question once a point guard gets into his 30s. Steve Nash was the exception to this, and I know that's Goran's model. But most point guards, when they get into their 30s, the the decline starts to occur pretty quickly. So I, you don't know if it's going to happen with Dragic before Simmons and Embiid are ready to take that next step. 
understandable given the fact that they're more of a future-oriented team right now, but I do think that they were kind of given the mandate to try and compete now. So I, I do wonder if perhaps this is the the opportunity for them to strike, turning one of their young players into a proven veteran that can help them compete and maybe even win a playoff series, which would be a pretty sizable landmark given where they were even just a few years ago. Now as we kind of move on here to the fourth category of trades that Miami can do, I would say Kelly Olynyk is probably another desirable contract that you can turn into something. Now, it is kind of hard because he's not on that much money. In terms of the quality of that contract, he's only on $10.6 million, so it's not a huge salary to go and get something big. So I was kind of thinking getting a, a, a draft pick and maybe a, another contributor in exchange for him, and the team that I actually came up with was Golden State. And despite the fact that you would think they're set, they don't need to make any moves, I did Kelly Olenek to the Warriors in exchange for Nick Young's expiring contract as sort of a salary filler, a first-round pick, and Sean Livingston would be the player that would stick around in Miami. He still has three years left on that contract, and so I think he could probably help contribute. You get the first-round pick and sort of turn Kelly Olenek into further assets, which really was the whole point of that free agent, but Sean Livingston would kind of be the main player coming back in the deal. Wow. Um, history with the Heat. Um, they obviously know him. Eric Spolster knows him. He kind of started his comeback with the Heat. Uh, there's a lot of respect there. Not really a true point guard. Fits really well in Golden State's system, which is a little odd because we know how much they love to shoot threes. That's never something that he's been that he's done. Nick Young would provide a little entertainment here until the end of the season. That would pretty much be it. And then the number one pick, which we're going to assume is going to be 30th overall, right? So um, we're talking about very bottom of the first round. Who says no on that deal? They do. I don't think he's a player that they're, I mean, as as opposed to Johnson and Waiters, I don't think he's a player that they're looking to move on from. I, I would, yeah, I would think the Warriors would make that trade in a heartbeat, particularly because, you look at it, you know, what they were able to do in this past draft where they I don't believe they had a first round pick this this past draft. And they ended up basically just giving money to the Bulls to get Jordan Bell, who, you know, looks to be a core part of their future. So I, I don't think they would value the first round pick all that much. Livingston, you know, they would have to find another ball handler to take up some of that work there. Nick Young, they could live without um obviously with with the shooters that they have in that team. And Olenek would give them a small ball five that would, I mean, a, another shooter on the floor. Because that's the one thing that they haven't had. Like you talk about, uh, you know, with the Warriors, with the exception of the times that they put Draymond at the five, their other bigs, you know, have been, you know, for the most part, traditional bigs, right? Pachulia, JaVale McGee, I mean, David West could step out, Andrew Bogut. But to have Olenek would give them a whole nother dimension, which is not, not a guy who's playing out of position at the five like Draymond is, but a player who's comfortable at the five, who's able to step out and make a three, although Kelly hasn't made a bunch in the past couple weeks, but but certainly it's something he's capable of doing. I would, Golden State makes that move. I think Miami says no to that move. I, I, don't, I don't think that the value of getting the contract off the books is enough. And if I throw an extra pick in the trade, maybe an extra second round pick going to Miami's way? Well, we know the Heat don't have a lot of seconds either, um, so that makes it a little bit more appealing. But, but again, if, if, if you want a second round pick, you can buy a second-round pick, and the Heat have not done that consistently. I still think that the Heat would hold on to Olenek as a core piece. In the modern NBA, his contract, and from what we've seen from him so far, 
And I think you know he'll make more defensive strides the more he plays in Miami. His contract is is pretty reasonable. I don't think that's a number that you want to move off for. The other thing is that pretty much means that I mean, unless you're trading Whiteside for another center, you're probably keeping Hassan. And then it's okay. Do Hassan and Bam have a future working together in any way? And, and I know that's something that Spolster said he's going to experiment with, but I, I'm not sure necessarily that that's going to work. I think Olenek fits better with either guy. So if I'm the Heat, I would not make that trade. If I'm Golden State, yeah, add the pieces and 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 move on from there. And I'm not sure that Miami would be in any rush to get rid of Olenek, but in terms of pieces on the team currently that would be most desirable to other teams, I think you could do a lot worse than Kelly Olenek at the moment, just in terms of the production that he's turned in. Now, I want to get to as kind of the last category of trades for Miami to make the players that they really can't trade at the moment. So let's start first with the can't more than the won't. Uh, the, the can't are Tyler Johnson, James Johnson, and Dion Waiters, just in terms of their contract situation, their injury status, or their performances that they're turning in, starting obviously with Tyler Johnson. And when you look at the bump up in his salary, Brooklyn gave him the poison pill uh, to go and have that salary climb from $5.5 million this year to $18.8 million, $19 in the future as well. I think that that's going to be a prohibitive contract for the Heat to get off of. I'm not sure how they do it. And obviously, maybe you try and get Brooklyn involved because they signed Tyler Johnson to the offer sheet to begin with in terms of the, the, the contract that Miami ended up matching. They did the same with Portland and Allen Crabb, and I think both of those teams are going to end up regretting matching those contracts. Well, clearly Portland did, Portland did because they ended up trading the guy back to the Nets afterwards, Allen Crabb. So, so clearly they did. And I think from Miami's perspective, uh, to me, that was that was an ego move that the Heat made that that was uh, we found this guy. We we don't want anybody else to have him. And but remember, I also think a massive part of it, too, Ethan, was the idea that Miami didn't want to let Tyler Johnson go because they're trying to fill out a team in the aftermath of Dwayne Wade leaving. And I think, you know, if you're basically signaling to the fans, you're signaling to the other free agents, hey, this is kind of a full-scale blow-up. We're not going to let, you know, we're, we're just going to let Tyler Johnson go. I'm not sure how Miami even, even fills out a team to compete in the post-Dwayne Wade era, which I really do think once it happens, you kind of have to sort of kick into gear and try and put together some semblance of a roster. I understand that. I still think when you look at those numbers, uh, again, $19 million for the next two seasons, you would have had to have projected him, even with the cap going up. I mean, you have to project him as a 35-minute-a-game player to be, to be paying a guy $19 million. And, and I don't know, you know, and I, and I look, I, I love what Tyler brings to the court and his determination. We've seen him at times have good stretches where he can shoot the three. He can ball handle a little bit. He's not really a true point guard. So you had to... Uh, you had to project him as your starting two playing to, to justify $19 million when you, when you knew the cap was going to flatten out. You had to be able to project him as a starting two playing you know, 32 to 35 minutes a game, and I don't know how the Heat got to that place. I, I think it was a different story when we were talking about you know, the decision to sort of move on from Mario Chambers to make Tyler Johnson your backup point guard. That, that's a, you know, at the price that they were paying him. That's a different conversation and and they made the right decision there and you know I think that that decision made sense at the time but the decision to project Tyler as you're starting to and then after that to sign waiters off a three-month sample size to you know 14 million dollars or whatever it is you know per year then where are the minutes for Tyler is the, is there a sixth man in the NBA who's getting paid anything close 
to $19 million a year. And I think if you look around right now, and we'll see what Lou Williams ends up getting paid now, but but I, that, that player really doesn't exist. So I think this was part of, you know, we, we found this guy, you know, he slipped through the cracks. We've developed him. He embodies our culture. We don't want to let him get away. Instead of looking at it from a big picture perspective and saying, is this our starting two guard going forward? Are we anointing him the guy? And I think that's where they got in trouble. So that's Tyler Johnson. Now with James Johnson, I just feel like you look around the NBA, you look at the teams that are contending, and I'm just not sure where the trade is. Who the team that's who's the team that's taken on that money and really looking for a small ball four can't shoot. I was looking at right. I was looking at some of the teams uh, around the NBA that might need that kind of player, and I, I just I don't see a contender that it fits with. Uh, you take a look at at Toronto; they've had him, and he didn't. You know, he wasn't playing. You know, last we saw of him, he was out of the rotation against the Heat, and that's the same regime up there. So you know, you, you look at Toronto; they've gone with younger players on their bench. Doesn't make a lot of sense for them. Uh, Boston, he doesn't fit with what they do, and they have a ball dominant point guard. So th- as far as needing another ball handler, I don't see it. You look at some of the other teams in the Eastern Conference. I mean, who's you know, Cleveland? I don't think there's a fit there. So I, I don't see a team in the East. That he makes a lot of sense with uh, Washington. You know what we've seen lately from them is that, they, you know, they've been and I don't know how long this holds up. But they've been better so far without John Wall as the ball has moved. I don't know where James Johnson fits there either. They play Ubre as a small four, you know, at times. So that that spot is kind of taken there. You look at the Western Conference. Don't see a fit with Golden State. You know, Draymond does so many of those things for them already. Houston, I, I think his inability to shoot the three on a consistent basis would cut into any minutes that he would get there. So I, I don't see I, I don't see a great fit. And if you're a lower end team or your team just scrapping for a playoff spot, you're you're pretty much looking towards the future, and then you see the three more years of that contract extending until he's what thirty four years old. I I think that's a really tough sell. So you would have to staple. Winslow or Adebayo to that deal to be able to make anything work. So I, I, I don't see, you know, or, or a draft pick, which they don't have. So I don't see a great fit for him anywhere else. So those are obviously the players that they can't really trade because I'm not sure that you're looking at Tyler Johnson getting anything decent back in return or really convincing any team to take him on. So so now you move on to the players that you won't trade. They would probably be Bam Adebayo, number one, above all, just because he's on. he is a rookie in the middle of a four-year rookie deal. So I'm not sure uh, there's really anything you can get in return that you'd really be convinced uh, to, to, to go and pull the trigger on that. And then with Justice Winslow, I'm not sure what the trade market is there because obviously a team, either the Heat or somebody else, is going to have to make the decision into next season do you want to bring him back? How much do you want to extend him for? And the Heat already have made a lot of their extension decisions, haven't done it yet with Winslow, but I'm not really sure what the trade market for him is there either. Well, we know that Boston isn't going to make the move for six draft picks this time around, <laughs> right. so that's not, that's not going to that's not going to happen. And and I like a lot of Winslow's game in the in the Heat system, in the Heat culture, particularly as they develop him into more of a point forward, which I think is his natural spot. And I think he's going to be. I mean, we've talked about him as a small ball four, but but I think what they've done with him lately is interesting, playing him as Dragic's backup ostensibly, and and I think that's worked out reasonably well. But you're right, it's difficult to find a fit in the current NBA. Now, I look at what Boston's trying to do with Marcus Smart now, which is they've basically decided 
not to pay him going forward. And that's a big reason why they're trying to find a first round pick for him somewhere and then to potentially flip that pick, you know, maybe for Tyreek Evans. Now that looks like Lou Williams is going to be off the market. You know, Justice Winslow and Marcus Smart have some similarities, right? Like that's both better on the defensive end. Both have struggled with their shot in the NBA, been questions about what their upside is. Both were high draft picks, top 10 picks. And so I'll be curious to see if, if Marcus Smart yields a first round pick for Boston, um, because, again, I look at them as, as somewhat similar. You know, uh, they're different kind of defenders, but again, both very good defenders. And, and I think that'll give you sort of a clue as to what if Winslow's not traded, at least it'll give you a clue into some of what Winslow's value might be or might have been. But this is the problem that the Heat have is that their most productive guys this year have been their lower paid guys for the most part, you know, with the exception of Dragic. I mean, you look at the payroll right now, Chris, and. I mean, let's project it ahead to next year. Let's go ahead to next year in terms of what guys will be getting paid. In terms of contracts, Hassan, 25.4. Tyler Johnson, 19.2. Goran, 18.1. James Johnson, 14.6. Deion Waiters, 11.5. And in that context, the Kelly Olenek contract at 11.1, you know, as your sixth highest paid player, looks pretty good. Then, then the Josh Richardson at 9.3 still looks pretty good, which again is why I like that extension. Justice at 3.4, Adebayo at 2.9. But but this is you know one of the issues that the Heat have is that th- they're getting more production at times out of players who will be paid less going forward. And that makes it really tough. And, and so I think for any of these three guys, whether it's Tyler Johnson, James Johnson, Deion Waiters, uh, you would have to staple out of bio or Winslow to them. And I, without a bio, I, I just I wouldn't do it. I, I think we've seen too much this year that is promising with him that I think I, there's just so much growth that can come in his game. And I would be reluctant with Winslow also. So I guess what I'm saying is, as we get to the sort of the end of this pod, because I've shot down a lot of the ideas from the Heat's perspective, is I think you came up with some really good combinations here, is that I don't I don't know that they're going to do anything, Chris. I mean, that's the conclusion that I come to as I go through a lot of this because you research this pretty heavily and I, you know, you're looking at some of these possibilities and for, for a bunch of reasons. One is they're caught in the middle of the standings. They're also caught in the middle of these contract situations where they're paying more for guys who aren't contributing as much. They've got waiters hurt right now, so it's hard to evaluate his value. They've got the explosion of the Tyler Johnson contract. They've got Ellington on the last year of a deal, but they kind of want to keep him. And you you look and, you, and they've got Whiteside, who's a guy who ha- still holds some value for them, who they don't play in the fourth quarter. All of those factors combined, I think the most likely scenario is that the Heat just sit on their hands here until Thursday. And it, look, for all the talk about what a master trader Riley is, it wouldn't be the first time that they... So I, I wouldn't be stunned if he just lets this thing play out and then and then looks to the offseason and maybe tries to move some of these contracts in the offseason as, as teams realize that they're not going to be able to get free agents because the cap has, uh, has sort of leveled off here. So I, to me, if, if you were to say what's the most likely scenario for the Heat, on Thursday, I would say the most likely scenario is that they hang tight. So we will see what happens. Um, we're going to do another pod here coming up. We'll, we'll tackle some of the uh, LeBron drama. Be sure to, not only to, to download the podcast, but also to subscribe. You'll get them automatically. You can do that on Apple iTunes. You can do that with Google Play. And also, if you have Android, you can do that with Stitcher. Be sure to make comments, suggest topics. We'll be turning out uh, two or three of these per week. Thanks for listening.
What's so special about Hero Bread's soft, fluffy, and delicious breads, buns, and tortillas? These ultra-low net-carb baked goods contain zero sugar, fewer calories, and more protein than the leading brands and are high in fiber to support gut health. Shop now at Hero.co.